Sorry for the self-indulgent brag video there, but... Um, <laughs> what is it that makes a guy successful? What is it that makes a father successful? What if uh, it's just any man we're thinking about? What is it that you can point to and say, you're doing a good job, you're making it, you're doing well? Uh, if you're a bloke, what, what would you put on your brag video? Or to put it in a more sombre tone, um, what do you want said at your eulogy? I've got two funerals coming up this week, uh, over the next two uh, Fridays. Uh, one I'll conduct, one I'll attend, uh, both Christian men. And I'm looking forward to hearing what is said about these men, and certainly in my experience of them, there is much good to say. But what is it that makes a successful man? What is it that we ought to be striving for? What do we care most about? What difference will it make for these men that they weren't just men, but they were Christian men, they were followers of Jesus? I'm reading a book with a few guys at the moment and uh, in the introduction it has this great line that says, failure is succeeding at the wrong things. That's cool, isn't it? Failure is succeeding but at the wrong things. It's worth thinking about. What is it that defines success as a man? What am I actually pursuing and is it the right thing to be pursuing? My contention today is that to be a successful man is to be a godly man. That's my conviction. Uh, right through the Bible, I see that to be true, Old Testament and New Testament. To be a successful man is to be a godly man. But before we can even kind of test that theory and see if it's true or not, what is it that a godly man actually describes? You know, what are we saying about a man, that he is godly? And before we answer that question from the Bible, I want to quickly address those of you who aren't men. Because as we think about what does it mean to be a successful man and therefore what does it mean to be a godly man, for those of you who are not men, you might say, well, this isn't for me. Um, unless you happen to be sitting next to one and want to kind of get the elbow in occasionally. Um, but I don't want you to tune out because something that the Bible talks a lot about is partnership. And if you have a connection with any man, whether it's a young man, a child, whether it's somebody your age, whether it's somebody who is older, whether that's somebody in your family or somebody in your community, they need your help in order to be a successful man. They need your support in order to be a godly man. It was true of Adam in the garden. It's been true for every man since. Men, we cannot be godly men without the support and help of godly women. And we're going to flip the tables next week and we're going to be thinking about what does it mean to be a godly woman and guess what? The reverse is true. Uh, godly women need godly men in their lives in order to flourish in what God has called them to be and to do. So today I would encourage for those of you who are women who are listening, uh, a lot of the principles that we'll be talking about will apply directly to you. Uh, as, as a child of God, a lot of the same truths apply. But I want you to almost filter that and say, now how can I help the men around me to incorporate these principles into their life? Because next week, we're going to switch the spotlight onto you and we're going to apply some of those principles more specifically into your life. And we're going to be asking the men to do the same for you. How can we support the women in our lives in order to be godly women? So how can I be a godly man? Here's a quick summary of what the Bible describes as being the characteristics or the making of a godly man. It's simply this. It's becoming a spiritual son, a spiritual brother, and finally, a spiritual father. That's what it means to be a godly man. A spiritual son, spiritual brother, 
and finally, a spiritual father. Now, when we talk about fatherhood, uh, I wanted to be very clear about what we're talking about today. We're not talking about biological fatherhood, uh, where reproduction is how you become a father. Uh, We're not talking about legal fatherhood, where adoption is the means to becoming a father. We're talking about spiritual fatherhood, which often takes place in those two contexts, but not exclusively. It's something that every man is called to participate. Uh, and the example we're going to use today, the example of Paul with Timothy, uh, none of those earlier two categories apply. The biological or the, the legal fatherhood wasn't Paul's experience, but yet he knew what it was like to be a spiritual father. So regardless of what your status is in that, I want to encourage you today to see yourself as somebody who can learn to be a spiritual son, a spiritual brother, and finally... And this is the test of how you have progressed as a godly man, a spiritual father. Now, these principles are talked about all over the Bible, all through the New Testament in particular. I'm going to zoom in on 1 Corinthians chapter 4 today, uh, and we'll refer to some other texts as well. But this is what Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 4 from verse 15. And uh, if you're familiar with the story uh, in this letter, Paul has been addressing his relationship, his connection to this church family. He's been talking about all the people who have invested in them to bring them to the point in their spiritual lives where they are at at the moment. And this is something he says from verse 15. For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. See, being a godly man requires more than being instructed and then instructing others in the gospel, but it always must include both being instructed and instructing others in the gospel. But you notice it goes deeper than that as Paul writes to the Corinthians. He notices that they have many instructors in Christ. That's not a bad thing, that's a fantastic thing. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love the fact that God in his grace has given people gifts in teaching and I can be the beneficiary of their gifts. If you go into my office, you'll see books by a whole range of people. Um, There's three shelves of John MacArthur alone and then there's a whole bunch of other people besides. Um, And uh, I've inherited most of those from my my, uh, father and my grandmother even. Um, But there's all of these books from all of these different people. But even in the case of the one that I just mentioned... um, Even though I've got so much of his material, he's not actually a spiritual father to me. And whether you look at any of the other authors I read, guys like Tim Keller or John Piper or Matt Chandler or David Platt, and and, the list could go on and on. Uh, There's uh, women like uh, Claire Smith or Mary Cassian or Ruth Barton or Rosaria Butterfield or Joni Erickson Tata. There are so many great teachers, men and women of faith, who have contributed into my life. Um, And that's just the tiniest of sampling. They are my instructors in Christ. But they're not my spiritual fathers or my spiritual mothers. Why? Well, it's exactly what Paul says. You've got lots of instructors, guys. You don't have many spiritual fathers. What is different about being a spiritual parent, a spiritual father or mother? Well, it's connection. It's involvement. It's relationship. It's sharing life. 
on a completely different scale, um, I've had the privilege over um, my years in ministry to be an instructor for thousands of people, whether it's online or in person, in youth ministries, in going into schools, in preaching, and in all kinds of different settings and circumstances. I'm not a spiritual father to most of those people. But by the grace of God, I am called to be a spiritual father to some. What is it that makes the difference? It's purely about proximity. Look at what verse 16 tells us. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. How do you imitate somebody? You've got to be close enough to be able to observe closely their life. You see, you can agree or disagree with an instructor's message. Um, I've got plenty of books by people and I like some parts of what they write and maybe don't agree with other parts of what they write. And you can enjoy somebody's style of teaching um, or it can really grate on you. Have you ever experienced that? You know, there are some people you might be listening to and you're just with them and it's fantastic and there are other people and you're looking at your thing or you're saying, hey, stop being so um, animated and trying to emotionally manipulate me and you've got your preferred style and you can either gel or not gel and you can apply somebody's teaching, put it into practice in your life and really benefit from it or you could completely ignore everything that they've said. But here's something you can't do with an instructor. You can't imitate them. You've got to know somebody better in order to be able to imitate their life. You've got to be able to observe. You've got to be able to get a sense of who they are as you go deeper with them. You've got to experience them up close. And so Paul sends Timothy, uh, this person who he's dearly loved and he has observed him as being a faithful child, somebody who has travelled with Paul and, and absorbed the impact of the gospel in Paul's life and he says, now Timothy is going to not tell you about my life, what's he going to do? He's going to remind you because Paul has been a father to these people already, he has lived with them, he's had meals with them, he's spent hours sharing and praying and serving and Timothy's simply going to come alongside them as somebody who has also experienced Paul in that spiritual fathering kind of way. And he's just going to jog their memories. He's going to remind them of what Paul actually teaches and what he stands for and the difference it made in Paul's life so that they can continue to imitate Paul. At Kingsley, we use the phrase sharing and declaring to remind us that if we're going to pass the gospel on to others in the way that Paul passed it on to this church at Corinth, it requires, yes, declaring. It requires instructing. It requires teaching and all of the other ways that we declare God's truth. But it also requires sharing the truth of God in community with other people in a way that the truth actually resonates out of us as part of who we are, not just what we proclaim. So here's a question for you. How are you pursuing your identity as a spiritual son or daughter in the way that Paul is in urging these Corinthians to live out their identity as one of his spiritual sons or daughters? Who are the people that you are imitating? Not just reading their books, listening to their sermons or you know, tuning into their Christian TV station, whatever it might be. Not just absorbing the content. Who are you imitating? Whose life is rubbing off on you. We're in a pretty um, individualistic society, aren't we? Um, it's not the kind of uh, communal uh, culture that Paul was uh, ministering in and living in. 
Um, and that's one thing that we probably have lost sight of to a degree as we chart our own course and make our own decisions about all the aspects of what we want our lives to look like. That sense of rubbing up closely enough with others that we absorb their character, absorb their heart, absorb the knowledge of what God has built into them, that we journey deeply enough with others, that's not a cultural strength of ours. But yet according to what Paul writes to the Corinthians and to the Philippians and to the Thessalonians, you just see it over and over again, this is an essential part of discipleship. This is how the gospel is passed on. This is how godliness grows. It's in the sharing of life, life centred on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hence, as Paul gets to the end of his, of his life, he writes a letter to Timothy. This is in the last letter that we have uh, authored by the Apostle Paul and he says this to Timothy. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I love the way you see Paul here affirming who Timothy is, the relationship that he has with Timothy, and charging him to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And because Timothy was a preacher, I could very easily think of a wrong image there when I think, okay... Paul, as, this, um, as he's writing to this uh, preacher who is trained, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I might think that's be strong, like really sock it to him. You've got to teach this stuff. Does anyone else kind of get that image? It's just me. Excellent. Because that's wrong. That, that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is not actually telling Timothy to be strong in himself and in anything he does. He's inviting Timothy to find his strength in the grace of God. That's literally what that means. Find your strength, Timothy, in God's grace. Because that's what's actually going to enable you to be the kind of person that Paul is inviting him to be. Not uh, just as somebody who has been as a spiritual son to Paul and absorbed Paul's life and absorbed Paul's teaching, has learnt to apply it in his own life, but now as somebody who entrusts that as a spiritual father to other men who does life with other men, who teaches other men, so that they not only know the gospel up here, but they know it down here. They know what it feels like to be strong in the grace of God and for God's grace to impact everything they do and everything that they are and everything that they say. Paul's inviting Timothy not only to realise that that baton has been passed to him, but now to take that baton and pass it on to others. You're not only a spiritual son, Timothy, you're a spiritual father now as well. What a great encouragement from a mentor to put his hand on Timothy's shoulder proverbially, it's a long way away, and say, you can do this, Timothy. God's grace is in you. You know what it's like to depend on Jesus the way that we've been doing all through our ministry together. Now go and teach others to do the same thing. You know what it's like to find your contentment in God when everything else is being stripped away and you're suffering and you're struggling. Go and teach others how to do the same. You know how to stand against false doctrine where people are saying all kinds of uh, mistruths to take people away from the joy of knowing Jesus. Now go and stand for the truth in how you relate to others and teach others to do the same. Paul's inviting Timothy to be that man who passes on godliness to other men as well to be empowered by the grace of God to do that. And this is what he writes to the Philippians about Timothy as he is about to send Timothy up to him a little bit earlier on in his ministry. He says, But you know his proven character, 
because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. So just as Paul has been a spiritual father for Timothy, training him to be a minister of the gospel, uh, equipping him to be able to now go on and take that role for others too, uh, this is the, the element of spiritual fathering that we are being invited to participate in as well. But I do find it interesting in Paul's first letter to Timothy, uh, and it's a letter in which we read Paul's encouragement to Timothy to remember not let people look down on you because you were young, but to set an example for the believers. Uh, that was a little bit earlier on in chapter 4. And then he goes on to say, and we don't know how old Timothy was at this point, he was young enough to feel intimidated by the fact that there are older people than him and wiser people. And Paul's encouraging him not to let that hold him back, but this is how he encourages him to relate. Don't rebuke an older man but exhort him as a father and younger men as brothers and older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Isn't that a beautiful expression of what it means to be engaged in a local church? Uh, for me to, to look at those men who are older than me and consider them to be spiritual fathers, to look around at those who are in a similar age and say, these are my brothers and my sisters. How does that change how we relate? how we serve one another, how we love one another, how we speak to one another. But as I mentioned, by the time Paul writes his final letter to Timothy, and we don't know how much later that was, uh, somewhere between two and five years probably, uh, by the time Paul is actually contemplating very seriously the end of his own life and what will come after him, that's when he really emphasises to Timothy, don't just see yourself as a spiritual son. Don't simply see yourself as a spiritual brother. Now see yourself as a spiritual father too. You're ready for that. You can do that. Be somebody who, like me, can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you're ready to say that because I've watched your life. And people like the Philippians have watched your life. And you're ready to have that ministry. Men, because we're focusing on you today, that's what we need to aspire to. We need to be, aspire to be the people who can have somebody else put their hand on our shoulder and say, Mike, you ready? Be a spiritual father. Invest in this. And for me to then say to the, the men that I'm fathering spiritually, you're ready for this. You're called to this. I've observed your life. You've got something where you can say, follow, follow me as I follow Christ. You're not perfect. And sometimes I'll point out the things that you might want to work on, and that's okay. But you're on the way. You can start being a spiritual parent. Who was a biological dad here? You were completely ready when your first child was born, weren't you? <laughs> it's like you'd read the books. How hard could it be? Some of you were like that, and I, I do apologise on your behalf to your uh, wives and uh, other family members and to your children. So if you felt that you were qualified, you probably soon realised that you weren't, were you? you? You were prepared. You'd had input. You'd been shaped. Yes, absolutely. God prepares good works in advance for us to do. He gives us the resources. But we weren't all over it. And guess what? Spiritual parenting's the same. Don't think that you've got to have it all together before you're ready to pass the baton of faith on to someone else because you'll never get there. But recognise this. Probably, a little bit like Timothy, it seems, you may lack some confidence. You may look at your own life and say, I don't know if I'm that, that guy that I can pass on that baton, that I can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know what? Good, that's humility. Keep working on your own faith. See yourself as a spiritual son, surround yourself spiritual brothers make sure that you are growing but don't wait to start parenting 
Let the spiritual fathers in your life tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you can do this. And if you are a little bit older in the faith, recognise how important it is that you do that for those who are younger. Because how will they know that they're ready to build into the lives of others unless somebody taps them on the shoulders and says, you can do this. I believe in you. I've seen what God's done in your life. Have a go at this. I'll cheer you on. You make some mistakes and that's fine because the grace of God's bigger than us. We need to be able to offer that to one another. So I wonder what those moments will look like in your life. Time for a toilet, bit of toilet story. Um, <clears throat> not toilet humour, a toilet story. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I noticed the kids' uh, toilet was leaking. Tim happened to be home. Uh, he wasn't uh, out working on site. So I went to Bunnings, grabbed some seals, came back, uh, said to Tim and Josiah, hey, guys, come, come watch this. I'll teach you how to, to fix a toilet. <laughs> it went well. Come on, let's, let's have a bit of faith. Um, but toilets aren't particularly large rooms, so, um, so it turned out that I just did it with Tim. I'll have to do it with Si another time. Um, but it was actually a really cool moment to actually go through, hey, we're taking the cistern lid off and we're taking this bit off. I know what they look like. I don't know what the names are. Um, but, you know, we, we, we fixed, you know, replaced the seal. It's not leaking anymore. It's fantastic. And as a dad, I thought, you know what, that was good. Um, and I look for those moments with my sons and daughters. How can we pass on a life skill? Um, and there, there's so many different skills to pass on, isn't there, in just doing life? But it wasn't just about the skill of changing a rubber seal in a toilet system. Um, it was actually about the character that says, you know, I care enough to do this in the first place, to notice that there's a job to do and just to, to do the job and not need to be nagged about it. It's a character development moment. I mean, it's in a relational moment because we're doing this side by side and we're getting to spend time together. Passing on the skills as a father to a child is more than just about teaching practical skills or any other kind of skills. It's actually about the relationship of a father and child. That's what counts. It's reproduction. And what are those moments like spiritually? What do they look like in any given day, in any given week? What are those moments of spiritual fathering going to look like? Is there a moment to invite somebody to join you in sacrificial service? where you're digging deep and you're doing something that's not fun to do, but you're doing it because you love God and you love people and you're reproducing something of spiritual value in them. Is there a moment to share a love of Scripture? And that could take so many different forms. I know for, for one of the guys uh, that I meet with regularly, that's watching sermons together and just talking about them and saying, isn't this great? It could take so many different forms. It could be a moment to discuss financial stewardship. This is what, what I do with my money. This is why I give where I give. This is how I manage finances in a way that God speaks about, that expresses my trust in God and my heart to be involved in what God's doing in the world. It could be a moment of expressing worship, just as you go through life and you're being thankful to God for what he does in your life. It could be a moment to demonstrate confession of sin because we don't nail everything. And our spiritual children, especially those who happen to live in our homes, they see it. <laughs> There's a moment to demonstrate confession and humility and also the promise of restoration and the freedom from shame and guilt. That's a great fathering moment. Is it a moment of listening? Not lecturing, not instructing, but listening to understand. You're worth me getting to know as a child to a father. Is it a moment to pray? Are those moments with children in your home or are those moments with children you need to pursue? 
just like Paul, noticed this kid Timothy in Lystra and said, here's a kid that I could invest myself in. I've seen how he's inherited a faith from his grandmother and his mother and I think he's ready to have a spiritual father to teach him a kind of ministry that it seems that God has gifted him for. Do you feel ready to do that for the people that God has put in your life? As I mentioned earlier, you might feel inadequate in a whole bunch of those moments. Inadequate in your knowledge of the scriptures, inadequate in how you pray, inadequate in how well you serve, all those different kinds of things. Remember what Paul said to Timothy, be strong that is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's what counted for Timothy, to be strong in that grace. That's what it took for him to be a godly man. Now, Paul wasn't just saying that to Timothy, Paul had lived out the grace of God together. So who are those men who you could spend time with? It will help you to learn what it's like for you to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus so that you've got something to pass on to others. Do you have people in your life who are helping you to grow towards spiritual fatherhood? Men tend to be very fragile creatures. I know sometimes, I mean, not me, but others have big strong bodies and you know, they look indestructible. I used to until I hit 40. <laughs> no, all right, I was never indestructible, but... It's not about how we appear physically. Emotionally, spiritually, we can be a bit fragile as blokes. We can be nervous about being vulnerable. But guess what? We're all the same. And when we open up and actually uh, engage with each other in a way that talks about things we're good at and not good at, things that we know and things that we doubt, things that uh, we struggle with as well as things that we feel confident about, when we're actually open with who we are, we are able to help each other as brothers and as fathers with sons to become the men who can then be fathers to, to others. So what would that look like for you? I know uh, where I live out in Banksy Grove, there's, there's some guys from our church family who live out in that direction who are older than me and younger than me. Uh, if you live in Kingsley, the same is true. If you live further to the west, the same is true. East, same is true. South, same is true. North, same is true. There are guys around you who you could journey with. Are you interested in that? What would that look like? At the moment, we're encouraging people to pray about whether they are the, the kind of people who God has called to be a spiritual parent to those men and women who are in their area, to, to pray for them, to be open to connecting with them and to be exploring what would it be like if we got to know one another better, if we did more of life together, if we were spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters for each other just like Paul talks about in his letters to all the churches that he ministered among. It's a bit hard to do it for 200 people, but it's possible to do it for the people that God in his sovereignty has put near to you, near to where you live. And maybe there's others who are in those areas as well who could be brought into that because other people are hungry for that too. Don't underestimate how hungry people in our world are to be parented and to have brothers and sisters and to be invited to invest in the lives of others. It's a need. So will we step up and do that? I know there are some guys who meet. There's Tuesday nights, there's Sunday mornings, there's, there's another group of guys who are figuring out what they're going to do with that. Um, maybe it's specifically men that you need to get alongside with so that you can talk about what that looks like as a godly man in your home or in your neighbourhood. Well, we have those options too. But let's not be passive and let's not be afraid, men. Let's not be disengaged. Let's set ourselves the goal of becoming spiritual fathers for others by being a spiritual son, by being a spiritual brother. Let's pray.